Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Very good afternoon. Welcome to Chai FM. Welcome to Soul to Soul. My name is Rabbi Levi Lipska, and I'm standing in for my father, Rabbi Mendel Lipska. And it's a uh, auspicious parsha, it's auspicious Shabbos, and uh, we're going to be discussing a little bit about the parsha of Korach. And in addition to that, this year, tomorrow, Shabbat, we commemorate 25 years of the passing, or since the passing of the Lubavitcher Rebbe of blessed memory. And we're going to tie in the ideas of leadership that Moshe Rabbeinu exuded and showed in this parsha, and connecting it to the Rebbe and his love, his uh, activities, and his care for every single Jew, no matter where they were. So the parsha, which is of course named Korach, it's named after the central character Korach, who in fact was Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses' first cousin. And it wasn't long after the events of the previous parsha, where the episode of the spies and that aftermath thereafter that Korach led this great rebellion against the leadership of Moshe, the leadership of Moses. And the Parsha is dedicated and devoted entirely to narrating this rebellion and how God reacted to this rebellion. One of the interesting and curious aspects of this revolt is its timing, when they actually revolted. After all, Moshe had led the people out of Egypt over a year earlier. And certainly, if Korach and all of the other investigators, instigators in his group had any grievances against Moshe, there was ample time for them to have voiced them before this. It had been over a year. And furthermore, Hashem had just unquestionably endorsed Moshe and his leadership by supporting him against the arguments of the spies and refusing to aid any attempt at conquering the land without Moshe's involvement. And so now, of all times would seem the least opportune time to try and create a rebellion against Moshe Rabbeinu. In fact, it wasn't despite the events of the previous parasha that Korach chose this time to rebel. It was precisely because of those events. In essence, what Korach disagreed with, he disagreed with Moshe and Aaron's definition of the relationship between the layman, every single Jew, and the Kohen, the priest. And between the mundane elements of life and the holy elements of life. In Korach's view, he felt that the average person, the average man on the street who spends the majority of his day in mundane physical activities of life, he felt that we too are just as holy as the Kohen. And the Kohen had spent or spends his entire life in the holy temple involved in spirituality. Korach felt that we, the average man, is just as holy. And Korach, in fact, noted Hashem's reaction to the spies' desire to remain in the desert, because as is well documented in the Torah, in the desert, the Jewish people lived an entirely and pure spiritual lifestyle. They were protected by the clouds of glory at all times. They were nourished by the manna from heaven, the wells that gave them water. And the spies, they did not want to enter into a land as they said that consumes its inhabitants. What are those, what is that consumption? The earthly distractions, the mundane elements of the world, the physicality of the world. They did not want to be consumed by the physicality of the world. They rather wanted to remain in the desert so that they could continue to lead this awesome and spiritual lifestyle. And Moshe then made it clear that this was Hashem's will. That the Jewish people should enter the land and then turn that land into a holy land. Hashem wanted them to enter 
into the mundane realities of a natural human existence, even at the expense of losing some spiritual clarity and vision that the Jewish people had enjoyed in the desert. What did Hashem essentially want? He wanted us, he wanted the Jewish people to uplift the mundane. And this is the entire purpose of creation, is to uplift everything around us, make physicality a little bit more sensitive to spirituality. And if so, argued Korach, and this is where Korach made the mistake, why must the average person, the average layman, why does he have to look up to the Kohen Gadol? Why does he have to look up to the priest? Why must he look up why must he look up upon the portion of his produce that he had set aside for the for the priest? Why does he have to see that as the epitome of his work? Why must he look up on the few hours during the day that he spends in a Kohen like activity in study and prayer? Why must he see that as the highlight of his day? Should they not be considered equal and separate activities? You've got the holy on the one side, your time for prayer, your time for study. And on the other hand, you have your physical work. You go to work. You provide for your family. Why, said Korach, should these two things not be considered equal and separate activities? Neither one is better or holier than the other, said Korach. If anything, the simple Jew and his mundane life, which he has made holy, is even more important than the priest, more important than the Kohen. Because, as we said, this was the entire purpose of creation, to take the mundane, to take the physicality, and to work with it to make it spiritual. The different roles played by a layman, by an average person, and by the Kohen, Korach insisted, are separated, they're different, but they're equal in what they bring to the world. Because Hashem desires them both. And who is to say that the Kohen's role is any holier than the average person? Who says that the Kohen needs to give nourishment to the average person? And this Korach was coming to argue. That's why he decried Aaron rising or raising himself above the congregation. Aaron, as the high priest, lifted himself. And he wanted, Korach, he wanted to become the Kohen Gadol, the high priest himself, in order to set things right, in order to set things straight in the way that he saw fit. He wanted to redefine the status of the Kohen Gadol as only being different than the rest of the people but not necessarily better. He said, all of this congregation is holy. God is within them. So why do you raise yourselves above the congregation of Hashem? And even furthermore, why must the congregation raise itself and yearn to be like you, even while they're involved in their everyday mundane activities? And to this, Moshe answered with incredible clarity that in the morning, God will make known. Hashem will show. True. That when the layman fulfills Hashem's commandments, the average person, in the most mundane aspects of life, he consummates Hashem's desire for creation. A desire that the lofty activities of the Kohen cannot achieve. But even though he is told to enter into the land and to work it and to work with the physicality, he is also told to keep his eyes on the Kohen, to watch the Kohen. He needs to perceive the holy moments in his day, comparing those to the holy moments of the Kohen, so that his life will be filled with light, just like the morning is filled with light. So that in performing Hashem's commandments, he enhances his awareness and his awareness of God in his heart and in his mind. We have a moment from the marketplace. 
The Jewish Community Survey of South Africa is live. Go to www.jcssa2019.co.za to sign up. This is a once-in-a-decade opportunity to participate in the Kaplan Center's national online survey. The survey is open to Jewish adults 18 years and older living in South Africa. Your views are important, and your participation is essential for planning for the long-term needs of our community. Make time, participate, and have your say. jcssa2019.co.za We'll be back just after the break. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Welcome back to 101.9 Chai FM to Soul to Soul. My name is Rabbi Levi Lipska, and I am standing in for my father, Rabbi Mendel Lipska, and we're discussing the parish of Korach and the great rebellion against Moshe and Aaron and what the aftermath thereof was and how Moshe exuded incredible, incredible leadership to quell and to ensure that despite the rebellion, the Jewish people could move forward. And so from the spies in the previous parsha, we learn that Hashem's goal for creation can only be realized when we enter the land, when Yiddishkeit, when Judaism is more than an intellectual or an emotional affair and finds expressions in action. Ultimately, we are human beings who need to think and who need to have emotions, but ultimately we need to channel those into that intellect, channel that emotion in, into action. And from Korach, we learn that the emphasis on deed should not translate into a dry and mechanical Judaism with no emotion, simply doing because it says so in the Torah, but rather physical performance of the mitzvot, of the commandments that need to be energized by an awareness and a love of God. And that is what should shine just like the morning shines. Now, after Moshe and Hashem had quelled this rebellion, Hashem reendorsed the distinction between the tribes of Levi, the Levites, and the Kohanim, the Kohen Gadol, the Kohanim, by summarizing that the priests and the Levites' responsibilities towards the average man and the layman, the average man's dues that they had to then give to the Levites and to the Kohanim. And although the connection between this ratification and Korach's rebellion is very clear, it still seems somewhat strange that it's placed in a parsha named after the very person who challenged the justice of this distinction most vocally and in action. And in light of what we've just been saying about Korach and this distinction between the average person, the layman, the Israel, and the Kohanim and the Levim, the inclusions of these marks of distinctions under the title of this week's parasha, Korach, is in fact most appropriate. Because all along, Korach yearned to be the high priest. He wanted to be the Kohen Gadol himself. He wanted to experience transcendent spirituality and a great feeling of closeness to Hashem. And in this, we learn from him. We must emulate Korach in this desire. Indeed, this is, of course, the central message of our parsha, to yearn for spirituality, to yearn for transcendence all the time and all the while being immersed in the mundane and immersed in the physicality of the world. And this is why, interestingly, it says in Proverbs that the name of the wicked will rot. And the Talmud comments, let mold grow upon their names because we don't want to use the names of the wicked. So this, as we said, begs the obvious question, how could the Torah eternalize the name of Korach, a wicked man who did not repent in his lifetime? The Torah calls the entire parsha by his name and internalizes his name. 
And of course, while Korach was indeed wicked in his deeds, as we said, he nevertheless harbored a true desire which is appropriate for every single person to emulate. He wanted to be the Kohen Gadol. He wanted to be close to Hashem. And Maimonides writes that any type of person whose spirit inspires him and he resolves in his mind to set himself apart from purely worldly pursuits and he wants to stand before Hashem and serve Hashem and to work for him and to know God and he acts on this resolution. He goes in a morally upright way. He follows his inherent God-given disposition and he discards all of the numerous concerns that people are normally preoccupied. Then, says the Rambam, then says Maimonides, he will attain the holiness of the holy of holies, i.e., meaning the spirituality, the level of spiritual that the high priest attained. And so Korach was not corrupt in his ideology but only in his method of implementation, what he actually did with what he wanted to do. His desire to be the Kohen Gadol was well-founded. As Moshe confirmed, Moshe said, I want this too. His only mistake was attempting to achieve this goal by overthrowing Moshe, rather than trying to achieve this goal by following Moshe, who was the leader. And so it is appropriate for our parasha to be named after Korach, because his desire for spirituality is something that we should all learn and yearn from. Nevertheless, we see that most of the parsha sadly, speaks of Korach's actual mistakes, doesn't speak much of his good intentions. To the extent that we are warned, do not be like Korach and his company as henchmen. Where then is this positive message in Korach's sin and eventual punishment? How do we learn from that? In truth, even Korach's downfall tells us an uplifting message. If you think about it, and you think about its significance deeply, because by placing us in this world with free will to act either wisely or foolishly, Hashem has ultimately granted us the greatest possible gift to strive for holiness, to be the high priest, to be the Kohen Gadol, so to speak. By utilizing our own talents and our own skills that Hashem has given us for good on our own by making a free choice to do wisely. And so from Korach's well-meaning failure, we can learn two things. Number one, we need to emulate his good intentions. We need to emulate the fact that he wanted spirituality. And number two, the possibility of real failure. Korach suffered failure. It means that freedom of choice is, freedom of choice is totally in our hands. And consequently, real success is an option which is available for us. And we have that free will to act wisely or to act foolishly. And now Korach is in many ways an extremely distressing parsha. A group of rebels led by Korach, who we said was the cousin of Moshe, they attack the leadership of Moshe, the leadership of the Bnei Yisrael. He wanted it for himself. He gave the high priesthood to his brother Aaron. This is what they were attacking, the leadership of Moshe and the leadership of Aaron. It was an extremely brutal and a dishonest attempt to remove Moshe and Aaron from the positions that had been bestowed upon them by Hashem himself. In the fourth verse of the parsha, it says that when Moshe heard the accusations of Korach, he fell on his face. He was terribly upset. The obvious thought would be that Moshe was so upset, it was so distressful for him to be personally attacked by his own flesh and blood that he fell on his face. But Rashi, the foremost commentator on the Torah, tells us differently. He says that the reason that Moshe fell on his face, the reason that he was distressed, 
is because he thought that this was now the fourth time that the Jewish people had behaved in a negative, in a negative manner, had rebelled against Hashem. And he was thinking to himself, how am I going to appeal to Hashem to forgive the people once again? It wasn't that Moshe was concerned about himself or the attack on him personally. He was worried about the B'nai Israel. He was worried about the Jewish people who would subsequently be punished by Hashem. And he felt that possibly this time he wouldn't be able to appeal the punishment. Moshe cared deeply for every single one of the Jewish people. And this is another true example, a powerful example of true leadership. Moshe's true leadership, not caring for oneself, but rather for every person that the leader leads. Jonathan Sachs, Rabbi, uh, Lord Jonathan Sachs, says that what is a great leader? A great leader is not a leader who amasses many followers, but rather a leader, a great leader, is a person who has the ability to create leaders. Caring so deeply about everybody else that you give them the boost in order to lead themselves. Tomorrow, we mark 25 years since the passing of the Lubavitcher Rebbe from this physical world. Gimel Tammuz is an uplifting and difficult day together. In every single generation, there is a Moshe, a leader. The Rebbe's leadership that expressed itself first and foremost for the material and spiritual welfare of the people. The Rebbe cared about every single Jew in every corner of the world. He sent shluchim, he sent emissaries to every single corner, even the most remote corners of the world, specifically to help Jews. And it's often not easy for those people. Those shluchim that go out, they have no access to kosher, no access to education for their children, no access to mikvah for family purity. Those are all things that they need to establish. Despite the fact that it is so difficult for the people that go out, they become leaders. The Rebbe's leadership was such that he didn't create followers, but he created leaders. The Rebbe would stand for hours and hours and end on a Sunday, giving out dollars to every single person and giving people an opportunity to receive a blessing. The idea behind the Rebbe giving out dollars was, of course, that the Rebbe wanted people to do the mitzvah of charity. By giving them a dollar, he was giving them the opportunity to give charity. The Rebbe had, was, was physically older by the time that this practice of giving out dollars had started. Yet the Rebbe stood for hours on end, looking into each person's eyes that came past, blessed them, gave them a dollar. There was once a elderly woman that came for dollars and she waited for a number of hours on the line and she came past the Rebbe and she said to the Rebbe, Rebbe, I don't understand. I have just stood for a couple of hours waiting on line, yet here you are, a man in his 80s. You stand for hours on end, look into each person's eyes, smile, bless them. She said, I'm exhausted. Rebbe, how is it? That you have the energy, the patience, the desire, the strength to stand here for hours and hours on end. And the Rebbe responded to her. The Rebbe said, if you had a bag of diamonds, a sack of diamonds, and you would pour them out and count them and check them, put them back in the bag, pour them out, count them, check them again, would you ever get tired of counting diamonds? 
The elderly woman responded, of course not. Counting diamonds. Who can tire of counting diamonds? And to this the Rebbe responded that every single Jew is a diamond. I'm counting diamonds, the Rebbe said. How can I become tired? This was a mark of a true leader who cared so deeply for the people and saw the good in every single individual, how they could better the world, how they could lead in their families, their cities, their countries, in their societies, in their communities. The Rebbe saw each and every one of us as a diamond. The Rebbe literally dedicated his entire life to help every single person on a, on a global level. Chief Rabbi Jonathan Sachs says the following. He said that if Hitler, may his name be erased, sought out every single Jew with hate, the Rebbe sought out every single Jew with love to counteract that hate. This world is filled with deep darkness, pain, suffering. The Rebbe sought every single Jew with love. The Rebbe sent messengers all over the world to uplift people, to bring the opportunity to people for another mitzvah. The Rebbe created the Ten Mitzvah campaign to give the people an opportunity to do just one more mitzvah, just one more act of goodness and kindness. There was a reporter from CNN that once came past the Rebbe, and the Rebbe was asked, Rebbe, what is your message for the world? And the Rebbe said, do acts of goodness and kindness, that that can tip the scale to bring Mashiach. When the practice of sending out shluchim, sending out emissaries around the world began, the frum, the observant world, shuddered at the thought. They ridiculed the Rebbe. Not only will you not be successful, they said, but the very people that you are sending out, they themselves will fail. They themselves will be consumed by the physical world around them. It had been a few short years after the Shoah, after the Holocaust, and there were numerous communities around the world that lived their lives either completely opposite to observance of Yiddishkeit, how could God have done this? Which is a very real and important question. And on the other hand, those that retained their Yiddishkeit, they wanted to live in closed environments, not be accessible by the world. They didn't want to lose any of the Yiddishkeit. And it was those who said to the Rebbe, you are sending out young couples around the world. Not only will they not be successful, but they themselves will be completely consumed by the physical world. We see that this is nothing could have been further from the truth. The revitalization of Judaism around the world post the Holocaust is in thanks and spearheaded by the Lubavitcher Rebbe of blessed memory, who indeed sought out every single person, every single Jew, no matter where they were, no matter what their status was, no matter who and what they were, the Rebbe sought them out with tremendous love. The Rebbe made time for prime ministers, military experts from Israel, and the average person, the average man. Everybody would come to the Rebbe for advice. The Rebbe gave military advice to the IDF. He gave leadership advice to the leaders of Israel. 
and he gave advice to the mundane average layman. Every single person on the street had the ability to access the Rebbe, to receive a blessing. And the Rebbe gave thousands and thousands of hours of talks, teaching us, uplifting us, helping us to grow. This is the leadership that Moshe personified. Moshe was not upset that Korach had attacked him personally. Moshe was afraid for the people he cared so deeply about. In every single generation, there is, of course, a Moshe. And undoubtedly, the Rebbe is the Moshe of this generation. And despite the fact that we are commemorating tomorrow, 25 years since the physical passing of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, his impact, his care for this world is felt each and every day. In fact, there were those that said in 1994, when the Rebbe passed away, that this indeed was the end of the Chabad Lubavitch movement. It was rudderless and leaderless. How would they survive? We looked so forth to the Rebbe. We looked up to the Rebbe. How could it be that this organization, this worldwide force for good, would continue? There would be no way. Yet despite that, and in spite of that, 25 years later, the Rebbe's message is being shared on an even greater global scale. The Rebbe's love, the Rebbe's care for each and every Jew is felt even more today. We'll be back just after the break. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. How appropriate that we just heard the song Mashiach, Mashiach, that wasn't coordinated. Craig at the controls chose the song and so appropriate because ultimately we've been speaking about the Rebbe and the Rebbe's leadership. The ultimate goal that the Rebbe had was to make this world a better place and to prepare us for the coming of Mashiach, the time when the entire world will know the existence of godliness and Hashem's special message for each of us. We've been speaking about Korach, we've been speaking about Moshe's leadership, we've been speaking about the Rebbe's leadership in commemoration of the 25th Yorzad of the Rebbe. And so according to Hasidic thought, the rebellion of Korach occurred at this point in time, since it was in fact prompted by the sin of the spies. And the inner reason, as we said previously, the inner reason that the spies did not want to enter the land of Israel was because they preferred this exclusive spiritual life of the desert to serve Hashem without physical concerns. They now had to earn a living once they would go into the land. The downfall of the spies sent a powerful message that Yiddishkeit Judaism prioritizes physical action over spiritual and intellectual pursuits. And upon hearing this, Korach protested to Moshe, why have you made yourselves elite over the rest of Hashem's congregation? He said, I can appreciate, argued Korach, that you are more spiritual, you are a more holy person than us. But since we now know, since we now see that Yiddishkeit makes physical action a priority, how are you better than anybody else? Aren't your actions, aren't your activities the same as ours? But Korach's great mistake was that the Torah does not demand lifeless action, but rather deeds that shine with inspiration and with spiritual enlightenment. And thus, the two mistakes of the spies and Korach teach us a powerful and fundamental lesson, that the healthy balance is required. There has to be spirituality, but there also has to be physicality. One must not shy away from physical life. We live in a physical world that God created. 
like the spies. They just wanted only to be involved in spirituality. But on the other hand, Yiddishkeit's emphasis on action must never lead to a life of meaningless ritual and a spiritual bankruptcy. Every single mitzvah, every single commandment should be carried out with the highest levels of spiritual consciousness. And this was the Rebbe's message to the world. Don't shy away. Don't lock yourselves in your communities. Close yourself off to the physical world and only lead a life of spirituality. Ultimately, this world needs action. This world needs physical action, physical activity, but it must be imbued with a sense of spirituality. We have a job to uplift this physical world. Hashem made us his partners in uplifting this physical world. We have a role to play. We live in this physical world and we do not dare shy away from it. But we have to work on imbuing our physical activity daily with a sense of spirituality and inspiration. We'll be back just after the break. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back to 101.9 Chai FM. I'm Rabbi Levi Lipska. Been standing in for my father, Rabbi Mendel Lipska. We've been discussing the rebellion of Korach, the leadership of Moshe, and the leadership of the Lubavitcher Rebbe of Blessed Memory, whose 25th Yorza we commemorate tomorrow. We all have a struggle to harmonize physical action with spiritual contemplation. And we fight this fight on three fronts. Number one, there's the need to ensure that our intentions do not remain in the realm of wishful thinking and that concrete action takes place. Number two, that our actions should always be dictated by the Torah's value system. And number three, action should never be over-glorified, and that we should always aspire to be more spiritually sensitive. Our sages taught us that the world was created with the letter He, from the Hebrew alphabet, the letter He. This is because its shape represents this balance, this equilibrium between the more spiritual dimensions of thought, speech versus physical deed. And Korach's name, Kuf, Resh, and Chet, is spelt by the letters that all are distortions of the left side of the letter He, indicating that Korach wished to upset this balance in the area of action, in the area of deed, of actually doing something. In the Chet, the gap between the deed and thought and speech is closed, suggesting that the physical no longer looks up to or aspires to the spiritual, which is why Korach rebelled against the spiritual leadership of Moshe and Aaron. In the Kuf, the action, the deed has extended below and no longer dictated by the thought and the speech of Torah. And in the Reish, deed is missing altogether. Action is completely missing. And so in short, it is relatively easy to be entirely spiritual, aloof, or entirely physical and mundane. Our challenge is to harmonize both these qualities in our daily life, making this a home where Hashem feels comfortable. And this was the message of the Rebbe. The Rebbe strived to assist each and every one of us to balance our physical and our spiritual. In fact, on this Sunday, there will be a very special program taking place at the Capitol Hotel on Catherine, capital on the park, honoring the Rebbe. There will be Shachrit at 8 a.m., which is optional. There will be a very special breakfast at 9.30. 9 o'clock will be the breakfast. At 9.30, there will be three inspirational speakers. The morning will conclude by 10.30. It's for men. It's for women. It's an uplifting, inspiring breakfast 
an uplifting and inspiring moment for us to connect and reflect on the Rebbe's impact on the world. But it's also a call to action. The Rebbe wanted us to do mitzvot. So this Shabbat, take upon yourself something, another extra mitzvah, and make this world a better place. I'd like to say thank you to Craig on the controls. My name is Rabbi Levi Lipska. I've been standing in for my father, Rabbi Mendel Lipska. Shabbat shalom to you and your families.